His words are powerful, right? And he makes all things new, and including us, that we can follow him forward. If you were here last week, it was a powerful week of worship where we looked at the statement, if God is for us, who can be against us? And, and it was this moment that, that I'll remember in the history of our church where just you could, you could feel courage. That is the truth of scripture and I believe it. And, and then something sometimes happens and I don't know if this happens to you, but we hear that, we read that, we hear the word preached like Jamel just made sense of this passage, brought out the depth of it and then we like leave and realize, oh, I don't, at least this is me. I'm like, I don't know if I knew what that even meant. Because in my mind, if God is for us, then nobody should be against us. That's kind of how I translate it. And so I'm so excited. And then it, it, this is what like generic weeks end up being like. We're so excited off Sunday. And then Monday we get to work and we're shocked someone took our parking spot. And we're like, what? Like this is supposed to be for me. God is for me, so I get my parking spot. And then we get a phone call from somebody we don't recognize, and we quick go through all the bills and wonder if we've paid them. And we feel shame and con we feel like 10 different things there. And all of a sudden, like, whoa, why would you call me just because I owe you money? And we've got like 10,000 different things like that that come up, and we're like, if God is for me, who can be against me? But how does this actually work out? Because I feel like everything's against me. And there's this whole thing of feelings, right? Like we feel like that's not true. Everybody likes to joke that I cry all the time and have all the emotions. I, I'm seeing head nods. I don't even understand that. And Jamel has like one emotion or half of an emotion. And I've got the rest. And if that's true, then we're going to talk through this first part of Romans 8 from the emotional guy. And we're going to look and say, like, what is this? How do we reconcile what we feel with what we know as Scripture? Because one has to win. And way too often we give in to what we feel. And I want to let you know that Scripture wins. And emotions should be felt and they should be processed. Don't just box them up and pretend they're not real. But scripture is our anchor on this stuff. Scripture is what guides our life. And our emotions become more healthy as we allow that to happen. So Romans 8.1, we're going to start right there because I think this is vital for us as we're in this series called If. Therefore, because of all of this in Romans 7 that Jamel did a great job explaining, if you didn't hear it, uh, listen to the podcast, he did a better job than I could right now. Therefore, because of all of that, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is true of you. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no voice that can condemn you. Okay? Nobody. Nobody can condemn you. But then if you're like me and you are way too often run by your feelings, you're like, well, why do I feel condemned? Right? I read that, and I'm like, yes, it's over. And then I shut the Bible, and I'm like, no, it's not. I feel it again. And then we start to question things. And we start to question dangerous things, like, am I really in Christ Jesus? If there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, then maybe I'm not even in Christ Jesus. And we question everything, and our emotions 
just start to rule the day. Let me tell you, Scripture rules the day, but don't set all that aside. Let's, let's process this. All of these questions, these doubts, these voices, we need to sort them out. And so let's look at what follows this verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. When I read this, alarms go off in my head. And here's why I come to the same passages almost every time I teach. You've probably caught on to this by now. Genesis 1 says, let's make man and woman in our image, in our likeness. God's having like this holy conversation at the very beginning of creation and says, let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And it was very good. He made mankind to look like God, to represent God here on earth. And then Genesis 2, we screw it all up already, which is great that they did that too, because that's what I do, right? As soon as I realize I'm made in his image, I like pick my nose or something. Like I ruin everything. In Genesis 2, we see that they're, they're made in God's image, and then they throw it all away. They throw it all away by, by Genesis 4. We need to be like culturally looking at this. By Genesis 4, they do not recognize God's Im- image on one another already. They've already forgotten that they're made in God's image. They've already lost that value, and so they take each other's life. Because, well... You have what I want. That blessing is what I want, so I'm just going to take it and act like that's mine. And so by Genesis 4, we already don't recognize God's imprint on each other, and we're destroying one another. So come to our life. Come to our time. You, you're made in the image of God. Me, I'm made in the image of God, but then we sinned, and that changed everything like injecting something into our DNA that just changes the whole composition of everything. And sin and death have their say. But here in Romans, we see that the Holy Spirit through Jesus gives life and sets us free from the very thing that changed us. The very thing that changed us loses everything. And the power of the law is to overcome the sin, God, God did something to overcome this thing that transformed us, that changed us to the negative where we forgot who we were, we forgot who God was. It says that God sends Jesus in our likeness. That messes with me a little bit. He sends Jesus in our likeness. We were made in his likeness. And then we tanked the whole thing. When, when I sin, when you, we don't change God. God is God. He doesn't change. But he goes to great lengths to love me, to find me. I'm aware of this, so I'm going to talk about me, but you can drop your story in here too, okay? Because I know that you belong in this. He goes to great lengths to find me because I'm a messed up little boy, lost, entangled. And he says, I will go to any depths and any heights to go find little Maddie, because that's probably what he called me. And he did just that. So much so that Jesus came in my likeness. Philippians talks about this a little bit, right? He, 
he had all the glory of the throne of heaven and he and he came down in the humblest of means he came down and he walked and and experienced the penalty of of cultural sin of the sin around him he he was harmed by the the lives around him and ultimately gave his life because he loved me, drop your life in there. Because he loved us, he gave his life. We, we know this, but do we know this? Like he went to all lengths. We were completely a mess. And Jesus came in our likeness into that mess to give us hope, to give us a way out. I've had a lot of people wonder about God's love. Is he really loving or is he mean? Or is it like we can't make sense of all of it. I'm, I'm telling you, he's love. To do that, to leave this holy, pure, perfect environment, to come enter into like life next to people like me by choice. And not just live next to and be like, huh, this is not fun. Like, that's not what he did. He, like, poured his life into people. Like, he, he had the 12, right? He poured his life into Judas, right? Like, that's a big deal. As soon as anybody smells like Judas, I seem to run away from them. He poured his entire life out for him. Story after story through the Gospels are of Jesus loving and then giving his life on the cross in this unreal levels of love going to these extremes for you for me but the question is are we in him right there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus Jesus went above and beyond he went to these incredible depths to prove his love not to the world he doesn't owe it to the world not even to his father he did that to to get to me to get to you to get like my thick skull to understand that he loves me. It's like that goodwill hunting kind of moment, you know? But are we in him? First John 3 says this. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. You want to know if you're in Christ Jesus then testify this. Confess he's your savior. That's a really simple question. Have you done that? Have we confessed that he is our savior? If we've done that, then we can trust the spirit that's at work in us. Maybe it's like 0.5% because we haven't surrendered to him, but he is with, at work within you. Trust the Holy Spirit to do his thing and probably give him freedom to do more within you to transform you. But if you want to know that you are in Christ Jesus, confess. And if we haven't, then it's safe to wonder. We can resolve all that today. But it's safe to be like, okay, I've got, I've got some homework. I need to talk. I, I need to confess to some people that Jesus is Savior. And John goes on and writes, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they live in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, in God, in them. If you acknowledge this, God lives in you. Well, what if 
what if I don't feel like that? Right, because that's where I am a lot of times. What if I don't feel like he lives in me? It, it makes me wonder, why are there condemning voices anyway? What, why is that? The, if you ever wonder that, the reason that there's condemning voices is because you're really, you're really dangerous. The enemy will try to condemn you because you're dangerous. If you ever realized who you were and lived out of that, it would transform this community. If our church realized who we were in Christ because he lives within us, Old Louisville and the university could not look the same. It couldn't. Not because we're so awesome and skilled. No, not at all. But because all of a sudden, a group of people began to acknowledge that Jesus has another home within them. And the Holy Spirit would just fill our lives and we would acknowledge that and give him freedom within us. And nothing would look the same like ever, ever again. And so there's got to be a lot of condemnation to kind of get us to sit down. Don't believe that. Don't live out of that. But what if we did? What if we began to, to sort out this and, and, and not give voice to the condemnation, but instead look to Scripture and be like, yes, I believe what Scripture says, and I know what I did, but I know who I am. And then we go free, and then someone else goes free, and then someone else goes free. I think that's what God has for us. There's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus if you testify and confess that he is Lord. So how does this actually practically work out? That's, that's what I want to know. What do I actually do about this? When, when something comes up, comes to mind, when I'm condemned about something specific, how do I handle this? If you've been around me for uh, more than like seven minutes, you know that I think kind of odd. And we're going to do that together, okay? I got the microphone, so we're going to think this way. This is a box that looks like it's from Amazon for you. It's not. It's, it's evidence because it says it on the bottom. This is evidence against me. This is a box of evidence against me. There's something that I have learned about confessing. If I give generic general confessions of faith, I experience generic general forgiveness. If I'm like, hey, forgive me for all of yesterday, I kind of feel like, oh, forgiven for all of yesterday. And that doesn't really stick because rarely does condemnation come as like, ha yesterday. It's not really like that, right? It's pretty specific. Like usually it's like they're, the evil one is reading my mail. And so when it comes to confession, when it comes to coming clean before Jesus, we have to come clean before Jesus specifically. This is what we see in 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is not like, hey, here's 1992, Jesus. Sure, that's great. But we can't be shocked if we feel just this general generic, you're forgiven for 1992. We can't be shocked about that. But what would happen if we took time to actually surrender things? Okay. This is my life. I don't know about yours, but this is my life. Justice should be like the scale of equal justice. I'm well aware that I'm on the guilty side. That's guilty. This is innocent, right? Here's the box of evidence. This is what confession looks like. It's you sorting out your life 
and being like, I'm pretty broken. And broken is true, but living as if brokenness is my only identity, like in a sinful way, not surrendered, but just flawed and unable to help anybody. Now that, that's, that's got to go. That's got to go. We're going to do this. And uh, sometimes I feel like justice is mine. Like I need to go figure out justice on my own. I need to go execute justice, make everything right, as if I'm the definition of right or wrong. Sometimes I'm just, honestly, I'm embarrassed of who I am. There have been moments where I'm embarrassed of the color that I am. And I take that as an identity, this like general generic assumptions about what a white guy thinks, what a suburban white guy who talks like he's from Minnesota must be. And I think that I have to be that because my skin looks like it. And so I'm embarrassed. But I need to confess that. Sometimes I'm just a pig. Ask my wife. In my family, sometimes I feel like I'm the black sheep. And I take that as an identity, that this is just who I am. Who I am is I'm the one who doesn't fit in, and so why try? I'm the one who doesn't belong, so live alone. I've taken this, this thing that I need to confess to the Lord because I hear the condemning voice, and I just take it as an identity instead. Sometimes I think I'm the smartest. And sometimes I've acted like I'm God. And there are other times when I'm just a beast. Now, here's what happens. Most of us, most of us think that we need to clean ourselves up. We think somehow we need to have enough on the positive to even this thing out, right? But here's what it looks like. You confess who you are, and Jesus has this amazing ability to... You're just new. That's it. You're new. That's who you are. And so as you sort it out and surrender it to Jesus, and then don't take it back. Don't be like, I was a God, and well, now I'm not, and whoa, now I am. No. You surrendered it to him because you thought he was better with it, so leave it there. Leave it there. Let him figure it out. Let him take it away. We're not sanctified because we're awesome. We're not justified because we've done some work. No, his work is we confess to him and he takes it all away and says, if somebody says that you're a pig, then say, well, I have acted like that a lot. Absolutely. If you watch my life, I have acted like that, but I am actually a son of the king. Be patient with me as I learn to try on this new clothes. The truth is, I have lied, but I have confessed that Jesus is my Lord, so I am not a liar. I have stole, but I am not a thief. I'm a son of the king. I have failed, and I will fail again, but I am not a failure. I am who he declares that I am, not because I'm awesome, but because I believe his word is more true than any emotion that I feel. And so I'll process my emotion, I'll lay it down before God and let him do his thing. And then the work is learning to walk as new. 
Learning to walk in the spaces where I've been condemned as a liar before, no longer as a liar, but as new. Learning to walk in the spaces where I have, I have failed before, but learning to walk as new, as redeemed, as the son of the most high God. That is our work. If God is for me, who cares who's against me? Right? And there might be a voice, but that voice is not more loving or more loud or more secure than the Father. So there is no condemnation for you. If he doesn't condemn you, then it doesn't matter. There's this other text in John that says, even even when our hearts betray us, even when our hearts lead us in a place to believe what was old, believe what's in scripture above that, that you are exactly who God said that you are, not because you followed some moral code, but because you followed Jesus. And so we're going to celebrate this at the table because that's what he's invited us to do. But we're going to take this serious, okay? There's a good chance someone in the room has never confessed that he is Christ Jesus. And if that's you, why would we let today pass? Why would we let you stay under the voice of condemnation? Why would we rob you of a life where you get to experience the fullness of who he is? And so there's going to be some people over by this light here and some people over in this corner here that would love to pray with you, to talk with you, to walk you through what it looks like to confess Jesus as your Lord. And before you go to the table, I want to invite you to go talk with them. Now, there's others of us who've walked around with just general confession for years upon years. Please forgive me for all the things that I did today. And we've never felt the freedom that God has for you. Maybe just maybe today, name some things out. Maybe today's the day where you say, hey, please forgive me for, for, for here's what I did. Here's where I've fallen short. And I know that takes great courage, but I tell you there's great freedom after. Go to the same places if you want someone to talk to, if you want someone to pray with, if you want to borrow their courage and their faith, go walk next to them. And for all of us, we're invited to bring our confession to God. We're invited to bring where we have betrayed who we really are. We're invited to bring those old labels and those old identities to him and lay them at the table. And instead of leaving with those labels, leaving with the bread and the juice that represent his body, which was broken and his blood, which was shed so that you and I could be new and could actually live full of the Holy Spirit be based on our confession of our faith. And so can we do that today? And at the table, could we maybe, just maybe, Leave those things that we've carried for way, way, way too long. And we, can we surrender them to him and finally let God have his way? I want to pray for us. I ask as you pray for, with me. Father, thank you that you love us well. And a loving father, that's not always the word we put on it, but that's who you are. And thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son in our likeness, in our midst, into our mess, to transform us back into who you've created us to be. And would you give this room courage to believe you over 
our emotions, to believe you over our hearts that condemn us, believe you over the voices that condemn us, believe that you who have begun a good work within us will continue it. And when we go to your table, will you meet us there?